The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. In today's passage, we are closing the book of Ephesians. Everyone go, ah. I'm so sad. We've been in the book of Ephesians, and I know some of you guys, if you're new, you're like, wait, we're just closing it. I just got here. Don't worry. We're, we're going to wrap it all up. I'm going to preach every verse this morning because she gave me a bunch of time. That's not true. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, hold it up. Bibles. Everyone got your Bibles? I need to see them. Show me your fake Bibles. There you go. That's Facebook, not a Bible. Face, Bible. Get your app out. You, you don't hold it up on your Facebook. I got my Bible, Pastor. It's right here. It's blue with a big F on it. Nope, that's the wrong one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a fake Bible like I'm using, you can get, grab a re- real Bible in the back. It is the only time I'm giving you permission to steal from church. If you don't own a Bible, you want a Bible, steal one of those and say the pastor told you to do it. And I think you'll get a free pass on that. We are in Ephesians chapter 6, the very last section. This is Paul saying goodbye. And as, I'm, I'm just going to tell you guys where this came to me, okay? I was uh, just in Italy, so if you're new, I, I was gone for a while. My father-in-law preached. Is he here, Charlie? Are you here? Thanks, Charlie. Great job, bud. So wise. So everyone said, well, your father-in-law, he's, he's so wise. I'm like, you guys, he's been preaching longer than I've been alive. He should be wise, and he is. He's so wise, has so much Bible knowledge. And as he was preaching here, I went down to, allegedly, where Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Ephesians. So for those of you who know me well, you know that as um, we went in and my wife said, oh, the tour cost 10 euros, like 12 bucks. I don't know how the conversion rate goes. I just spent all my money over there. And, uh, and I said, 10 euros to see where one of my heroes wrote the book that we've been studying for three and a half months, sign me up. And it was the smallest tour. The tour was like as big as the stage. And there were these artifacts, and you were supposed to go through this audio guide, like, and these are coins from this period of blah, 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 wah, 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 wah. And I was like, where's the, where's the prison? Where's the prison? Where's the prison? And my wife's doing the headphones, and I'm like, put those headphones down. We're finding the prison. So we found the staircase, and I went down. And, uh, and then the lady said, it's one more staircase down. So I walked, and then it was there. Now, I don't know if this is true or not because it's the church. It's the Catholic church and the Protestant church. And if we know anything about churches is that they lie all the time. So I don't know if it's true. But <laughs> what I do know is that allegedly this is where Paul, Peter, and John were in prison, or James were in prison. And it's here. It's preserved. There's a walkway over it so you can't touch the ground unless you're six foot six and have that wingspan. Um, so I have a pebble from the prison. Don't tell. Okay. There were no signs in English that I could read. Um, so I, I was there, and my wife is like, she's filming me because she knows something's about to go on. Because as I'm walking down, it's like the movie, like a Sleepless in Seattle or any of those chick flicks where they put the fake tears in your eyes, except I had the real deal. My eyeballs were sweating like crazy. And I'm going down there, and I'm thinking, this is, this is it. This is where Paul was. And then all of a sudden, it's like, do, 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 do. And then I'm, I'm down there on my knees, and I'm like, I, this is unbelievable. And I'm thinking, right now, my chapel family is reading this book. And I'm right here where he wrote it. And then, and then as I'm there, I'm thinking, oh, i got to go home and be normal after all this. And, and I thought, I, I, it's funny too. I, I thought, I gave my father-in-law the best passages. He got to preach about all the spiritual warfare, the armor of God. And then I come home to close the book of Ephesians where Paul basically says, hey, bye guys. And that's the verses today. But then I thought, man, what? What an amazing moment as we close Ephesians to look at what Bible nerds like myself see as an amazing love story. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to 
shoot through the Ephesians, Romeo, and Juliet, and then we're going to come out the other side with some pretty uh, big challenges, I think. Father in heaven, we need your spirit to move in this place. Lord, it is not by cunningness, cleverness, or human wisdom. It is by the power of your Holy Spirit that we are changed. So I ask that through your word, through knowing this story better, through reading the scriptures this morning, that you would change us from the inside out, that you would help us, as they did in the Reformation, to put away things that are non-Bible, that are not about you, and to make our lives centered on your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the way that you love each and every person here this morning, and I thank you that you love us so much you won't leave us in the mess that we are in that you will repair marriages this morning, that you will draw back wayward children this morning, that you will purge people who have been riddled with selfishness and pride this morning. God, I am hoping and praying and leaning on you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're not going to read this first part. I'm going to fly through it. Everyone say Acts 19. Okay, this is where the story of the Ephesians church begins, at least for today. Because in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul was going on his missionary journeys, and he came across this gathering of people. And they had been baptized into John's baptism, John the Baptist. They didn't know about Jesus. And Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, what is this spirit you speak of? Now, if you're new to church, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. You've got the Father, Son, and the Spirit, equal in dignity, value, and worth, separate, yet one God, one being. And the Holy Spirit is the the essence of God that lives within us, the Spirit of God that dwells in us once we cling on to Jesus. And it gives us the ability to love like we've never loved. It gives us the ability to see sin in our lives like we've never seen. It gives us the ability to be generous with our things instead of hoarding things for ourselves. It gives us the ability to let go of non-God things so that we can grab hold of the true God. And the people in Ephesus said, we've never heard about it. Can we get some? And Paul said, receive the Spirit. And they got the Spirit. And in the Bible, in the book of Acts, there's this thing that they do. They speak in tongues. It's unknown languages. It's like when I went to Italy, I was speaking in tongues to all the Italians. Because I didn't have time to learn Italian. I only learned the basics that I had to know. Pasta, pizza, wine. That's it. That's my Italian language. Done. And as I was there, people were speaking different languages, and I was thinking about this moment. Because in this time, it was the Spirit causing an utterance to come out of people's mouths. And then what happened when these people got gripped by the presence of God, they turned their city upside down. If you read Acts 19, it'll take you three to five minutes today. You'll see that there's a group of people who were so gripped by the love of Jesus, who finally understood and were empowered to live for God by the power of God, that they turned their whole city upside down just by living for him. They stopped buying the idols of Artemis that were in the city. They stopped buying things that supported other gods, other deities, And they were so radical that the city started to turn against them. And there was a riot because all of the things that people were using to make money were going out of business. So like a modern day equivalent is if all of the believers in the Tampa area rally for Jesus, we would all of a sudden be despised by the strip club owners and the sex slavery traffickers that traffic young girls and and boys in our city, that they would riot against us. And we would have worship services jam-packed full of people who found freedom from these things. That's what was happening in Ephesus. And it was amazing, the love and the passion for Jesus. And then Paul leaves after spending almost three years there. He leaves. He says, I got to go. I got to go make more churches. And then we get to the book of Ephesians. This is at the end of Paul's life. So that's Acts 19. In Acts 27, 28, Paul's in prison in Rome, and he's just writing letters because he knows 
Time's coming up for me. I'm, I'm writing these. I'm going. He's trying to get to Spain, but he knows at some point he's going to die for the Lord. So he pens this letter to the Ephesians church, and the very last part of this says this. This is our verses for the day. Verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love uh, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, free favor, be with all of uh, we will be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So this is the end of the letter. That's our text for this morning. This is an Acts, the end of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts doesn't end with Paul's death because Paul is not to be some bookmark on Christianity that ends. There are many, many, many ministries that are called Acts 29 because the book of Acts is the story of the church and it just cliffhangs and it sends us off soaring because we now are carrying the same message with the same spirit to the world, and what Paul says to the Ephesians is, I'm sending someone to encourage you. Keep pressing in and grace with everyone who loves Jesus with a love that is incorruptible. With a love that is incorruptible. Now here's where one of the saddest things happens. If you fast forward in time from the moment that Paul wrote this, somewhere in the the 60 ADs, give or take, and you fast forward about 20 to 30 years, where now all of the apostles have died but one, John, and he's been exiled to an island, Patmos, in the Mediterranean, where I was just swimming after eating pasta and pizza. Don't be jealous. John is there, and he gets a vision from Jesus. And Jesus has a message for the church in Ephesus just a few decades later. It comes from Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses uh, 2 to 5-ish. This is what Jesus says through John, through a vision. He says, I know your works. This is to the church in Ephesus now. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Those are good things, right? Good works. We want to be kind people. We want to toil, work hard. We want to have patient endurance. I need patient endurance. I have three kids. And and now Jesus says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. These all sound good. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These are all great things. Verse 4, but this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first, Ephesians church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, turn around, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So you've got this church that was so gripped. They loved Jesus in such a way that it turned the industry of their city upside down. The whole cityscape was changed because these followers of Jesus gave out sacrificially. They loved others. They shared what they had. And then a few decades creep by, and this part of of Revelation 2, it says, you're doing good works. You're enduring patiently. I see what you're doing. You're doing these things for my name's sake. But you forgot your first love. You abandoned your first love. Somewhere between the book of Ephesians, where we have three chapters in the beginning of this grand 
to the heavens theology. And in three chapters it says, if you're saved by this Jesus, this free gift of God, you've received it, not by your own works, but by his, then your life will begin to look like this. You will be this type of husbands and wives. You will be these types of children. You will gird yourself against the schemes of the enemy. Sometime between that moment and Revelation 2, the Ephesians church, they kept doing churchy things. But they forgot, they abandoned their first love. And in the very end of the book of Ephesians, Paul says, Grace be to you who love Jesus with an incorruptible love. And then their love was corrupted. One of the most terrifying things for me is to see when churches replace God's stuff with just good stuff. Uh, I wore this shirt. This is a, a Protestant Reformation shirt. It says celebrating 500 years. That's this October 31st when all of you guys celebrate Halloween and witchcraft. I celebrate dead dudes that drink beer. Okay? It's this, this October. I wore this to the Vatican because it's the Protestant Reformation, so we're protesting the Catholics. My wife didn't think it'd be a good idea. She, sh- she thought the Swiss Guard were going to arrest me. I was like, babe, those guys are dressed like clowns. They couldn't even catch me. I wasn't trying, I mean, I'm, I don't know what I was trying to be. Now I wore this. And I'm walking around. And if you've been there, or if you've been to any cathedral in Europe that's this grandiose scale, it takes your breath away. There's this sense of how human ingenuity and architecture, something so massive and beautiful and intricate and time-consuming, you walk in, you go, wow. Now here's the problem that I have, is, is that I'm, I'm a nerd, so I read. And I don't like reading fiction, so I read history books a lot. And I've read the history books of how St. Peter's Basilica was built. So while Martin Luther, while this guy is causing a ruckus, and he's not trying to be mean, he's just trying to get people to read the Bible again, and ended up starting this whole movement. But while that's going on, the Pope at the time is saying, we are going to build this new center This new basilica, it's going to overshadow anything that's been built before. We're going to bring in the best sculptors, the best painters, and it's going to cost a ton. So they went throughout the Roman Empire, and they sold indulgences. They would tell people, the poorest of the people, if you give us this much money, we'll give you this indulgence, this piece of paper, and if you get this, then you can buy off purgatory time for you or your loved ones. And they had these banners that they would show where they would unleash these medieval sort of tapestries of people in fire, where they would show up to a city square, put banners up of people on fire, and say, come by this so your relatives don't get that. Now that makes the basilica taste a little different. It's beautiful, don't get me wrong. I love architecture, don't get me wrong. But for a church to do that, it seems like they stopped remembering their first love, and they were doing churchy things. It's not bad to build a building. I don't mind that we have this, because if we didn't have this now, there wouldn't just be like two people fanning themselves. All of you would be fanning themselves, or we would have a church of like two people sweating in the grass, because it's hot. But, but this is just a tool. And some people say, uh, when I first got here, I remember this so much. They were like, we need to just get more money. We're so under budget. You just need to lay it on them. Tell them like, if they love God, you got to give. And if you don't give, man, you're going to get busted. I'm like, I'm not going to guilt people into giving. That's not the Jesus I follow. That's the Jesus that's somewhere else down the street. I'm I'm not picking on names. Like, don't put a name in your head. Unless you have one, then do that, okay? Um, And I just told people, I'm going to, 
I told the leaders, I said, I'm going to just preach the radical grace of Jesus, that these people are just train wrecks of human beings that had no hope in the world, and God looked down and said, look at these train wrecks, I'm going to save as many as I can. And he came and died and grabbed you up. And they said, that's not going to work. No one's going to give money to that message. They're going to be like, if God loves me that much, why would I ever give money? And I told them the same thing week after week. I don't know how it works because I didn't teach this in seminary. All that I know is that when you love somebody and they love you, love them, they love you, you want to help them. There's something about that. I mean, there's not anyone here, unless you're in a terrible marriage, that if your spouse gets sick, you're not going to be there to hold their hair back. You're not going to clean them up. Last night, we went to Frozen on Ice. And this is an example of poor parenting. Because we wanted peace... We let my daughter just go gangbusters on the food. Now, for those of you that don't know Savannah, it's like if, if like, uh, the She-Hulk and Thor had a baby, that's my daughter, okay? Um, she's just destruction. And Amy and I, we just got back. We're sort of jet-lagged around, and we were invited to go to this amazing thing, and it was cool. So I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't care about that kid. She'll live. But what we didn't realize is that Savannah would come to me and say, Daddy, can I have pizza? Girl, you get what you want. Then she'd go to mommy, mommy, can I have some popcorn? Mommy's like, yeah, yeah, just go sit and watch. And she's there in her on a dress. And there's a, a couple people who are little girls are cheering. And I didn't realize this whole time, like, I'm like, sure, have a Sprite. I don't care. Sure, have this, have this, have this. Like 13 brownies, 10 chicken strips, two pizzas, and a burger and hot dog later. My she-hulk ass is like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, babe, did you give her food? Because I didn't. And she, and she had quite, quite the tummy ache. She, she overindulged on all of these things. But when she got sick last night, it was 3 o'clock in the morning when that dairy finally met its match. And she did what any of us here with kids do, right? We all have kids. Now, I haven't had kids and been as jet-lagged as I am, but she just said what she learned at the show, let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Mm, mm, mm. So I did what a dad does. Because I love her. Because I love her. I say, how do I do this? I find the shower squeegee I have and a cup and just start going. Because I love her. If your kid let it go in my house, I'd be like, clean that, get out. I'm not touching that. Sometimes, like, you know, like, there's people that can, like, change any diaper. I can barely change my own kids' diapers. I'm already looking forward to when they have to change my diaper. Mm-mm. But with my daughter, I love her. And I, I'll, just, I'll do anything for her. I'll do anything for my wife. I'll do anything for a couple of you. I'm being honest. Like, let's be honest. Look around. I say chapel family because that's what I hope that we will be. I don't say chapel family yet because I think that's what we perfectly are. Because there will come a time. And the time is not far away. The time is upon us. Where the division in this country, where the church is anemic. The churches are doing very, very little to bring together the racial unity. The churches are doing very, very little to bring in the prostitutes, to speak love and kindness to those in the transgendered community or the homosexual community. It breaks my heart because we've forgotten our first love and we are still busy doing churchy things. 
we're doing what the Ephesians church did. We got excited. Do you remember when you first tasted Jesus? There's not a song that you couldn't raise your hands for. When you first tasted Jesus, they said, we're going to go on a missions trip. You're like, I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to sell my shoes. I'm going to go. I want to do something for Jesus. And then life creeps in. And we're like, I'm just going to do the the things. I'll do some good works and churchy things. And then we fall out of love. Now, some of you, I know this is the sad truth of being a pastor for 20 years, is that I know that marriages sometimes grow cold and sad and dark. So you've forgotten what love tastes like. My wife and I, we were gone for our 10-year anniversary. I still like her, and she still likes me. It's really cool. But some of you, you've been doing churchy things, and I just want, I just want you to think right now. Do you love him? Does your heart beat for him? Do you think about Jesus, and, and you can't contain your... I just, I just love him. And some of you know right now, you don't have to think very long, you know, I I don't know that I do love him. I think for me it has been, it's been the systems that if I just do the right things, then God will love me. The, The news I have for you is that it's not about you doing the right things so that God will love you. God loves you, proved it by sending Jesus 2,000 years before you, and he reaches into your life, and and we do these barriers, and we say, thank you, God, for loving me. Now I'll just do what I want. That's not how love ever works in real life. That's not how it works, right? When when someone is sick or ill, when your kids are sick, you don't just do the bare minimum and throw them back in bed. I'm not a super um, affectionate person in like the way that, I don't know, sometimes people think I'm like gushy or whatever, and I do gush, but I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm going to cuddle with you, my children. Um, I cuddle with them at bedtime, and then I put them to bed. It's been this way since all my kids were born. Like, you get to be in my room for a couple months, and then I'm putting you in your own room because I love your mom more, and I have to live with her forever. I'm sending you home to another place in 18 years. So this is my my MO. I love my kids to death. But at the end of the day, I'm not cuddly, but but there's these moments where I know that, like, I love my daughter. Because, like, last night I just rubbed her little thigh because I was staying clear of her tummy. And I, I, I'd held her hair back, and we'd cleaned everything up. And I went and I, I held my wife, and I said, babe, it's going to be okay. In these moments, just remember that one time we went on vacation without them. <laughs> and, and love is it's this emotion, but not just an emotion. It's also a commitment. Because there are times where I am sure my kids or my wife don't like me. I know this because they've told me, (laughs) but they still love me. My kids aren't allowed to say hate except for regarding two things. They can only say hate in regards to sin and Satan. So every once in a while it slips out, and my son will say, I hate this on Xbox, and I'll stick my head in like, ding. Sorry, Dad, we can only hate sin or the evil one. Ding. And I just pop back out, just like a little video game character. Bing, bing, bing. Because I, I don't want them to, to hate things that are not hate-worthy. Because I grew up and I just threw words around. I want them to be people who love and understand that it's, it's love with a passion and a joy, but it's also love when it's passionless and joyless, but you say, I'm going to commit through this because I know it's better for my soul in the end. 
and it's better for this relationship in the end. But here's what happens to the Ephesian church. It's easier to just fall into the rhythms. And just so you know, I didn't talk to your spouse with the next thing that I say, but some of you, you're living with roommates. You, you know, like, I, I don't really, like, love this person. I'm just here. Our incomes pile together and pay the bills. And we don't want our kids to be scarred by us divorcing or separating. And the love has died. And you're just doing the things of a marriage without having the heartbeat of a marriage. Now, I believe in resurrection, and that's what we're going to get to in a minute here. But if you've forgotten what love is like, it's time to let your walls down. And I know that saying that in the middle of suburban Florida is, I may as well say, you may as well go become the decathlon gold medalist this year. Like, you can't do it. Because it's hard. Because we're trained to do this. As our life falls apart, we use the rubble from our life crumbling, and we build walls up so that no one can see how bad it is on the inside. And I'm here to tell you that it's, it's time for you to remember what started, not only in your marriages and in your parenting, but in your relationship with Jesus. Remember that moment you realized that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, when that meant something to you. Not when it was just the hymn that you grew up with, but when you sat before the living God of the universe who gave you life and breath, the living God of the universe who right now you are only exhaling because he is willing it to happen. Your heart is going on because God says yes, yes, yes. You know the verse in the Bible, it says God knows, the Father knows every sparrow on every branch in the world. Like that's a job description. That's a resume right there. That's someone you want to hire. But we don't hire him. He hires us. And he says, I am so deeply in love with you. You are so deeply flawed. I'm going to give you my spirit to pull out of you the dross and the tar and the swamp. In that moment when you first realized that it was a totally free gift. And I don't know what that was for you. Because for me growing up, God and the devil were in a boxing match because I grew up watching cartoons. So for me, every time there was a good choice, bad choice, it was like the cloud poof, doof, and there was God. Old man, beard, boxing gloves, and then the shoulder Satan. And in my head, I'm like, who's going to win? Who's going to win this battle? And like so often in my teenage years, like Satan won. I was like, this is my guy. High five, little Satan dude. And I thought that's how it worked, that God and Satan were fighting. There's no fight. I met a cockroach this morning in that corner. There was no competition. I weigh 220 pounds plus pasta. Okay? Cockroach ended. And and me to cockroach is infinitesimally closer of a union than God and Satan. There is nothing there. And when you realize that you can finally put away the evil, when you realize that even the church things that have distracted you, because so many of you grew up in churches where you were shamed and guilted and you had this fear-driven mentality of, if I blow it, God is so mad. You know what happens when my kids blow it? I do get mad, but it never means I stop loving them. We've confused this somewhere along the way. When my kid uh, lost stars, because we gave them to the the grandparents when we were gone in Italy, and we used star charts, okay? My grandma doesn't want to ever take away stars, but I only have one good kid. That's Silas, okay? Jackson and Savannah, before I left, I was like, y'all going to lose. 
And they did. But Melody gives them buyback options, like do these chores and I will trace a fake star right here. You go back and just Savannah's sheet just looks like a gun range target, just, just blown through holes. I never stop loving my kids. I just say, I know, I know who you are. I see everything that you do and all that you, you rebel against me and God, but I'm going to walk with you. That's that moment of amazing grace when it's just Jesus for you, not for your family, not for your kids, not for your future uh, residential place on 101 Heaven Avenue. No, no. It's do you realize that right now Jesus loves you and do you love him? Or has your love been corrupted, not by the bad things of the world? In the Ephesians church, it wasn't that they were out partying, getting drunk, doing all these things. As people in a Christian church, we always look at people outside like, oh, they're the bad ones. Like those people out there, they have sex outside of marriage. And and I've said this before and I'll say it a thousand times. As I was a young adult pastor at a mega church and I did premarital counseling and finding couples that didn't have premarital sex that grew up in the church, I thought I had found two unicorns dancing upon a rainbow. Like really? Really? Miracles happen. That's how, so we think it's us, them. There's no us, them. There's God, us, and God is reaching down, and we have forgotten, and we've become so busy with church things that we think if we do these just enough, then God will just tolerate us until we get there. Man, translate that all the way to regular life. My wife's in the nursery today. Otherwise, I would use her as a living example, and she'd hate me forever. But, um, but do it with your spouse. How would your spouse love that so much if you just said, hey, uh, babe, I'm just going to do the bare minimum from here on out. When the kids wake up puking at three, I'm going to pretend to be asleep. When you get mad at me, I'm not going to say anything back to you. I'm just going to give you the silent treatment for three weeks because we've done it for the last three years. Would that be love in anybody's book? Let me put it a different way. If that couple writes a marriage book, how to are you going to be like, let's go buy it right now? No way, unless you want to see the train wreck side of it. So why do we do it with Jesus? I I don't get it. We can sing these songs, and it's good to sing. But if you're all about just the singing, hmm. there's a reason why this sign says Jesus and not worship and not singing and not preaching and not listening. Because if all that we're doing here doesn't get you to love him, then what we're doing is turning the Ephesus wheel once again. Doing things that are good, but we're putting those good things in the place of the ultimate thing. Now, I like to go to cemeteries, which those of you who have been here for a while know this. I go to cemeteries because it reminds me how short my life is. And some, of, some people have told me, um, I, I like Christianity, Ryan. I just can't believe in it because miracles. Like, do you literally believe that Jesus walked on water? People ask me this, okay? I'm like, yes. I'm not even going to try to give you a reason. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And they'll be like, what about, like, the bread and the fish? Like, you really think he stole that kid's G.I. Joe lunchbox and fed 5,000 people? Oh, yeah. That's, like, the first on my list to replay. I'm going crucifixion, Jack and the kid's lunchbox. That's my DVR in heaven. And here's what they don't realize. And here's what I think many of us don't realize. We don't 
see grace as amazing anymore. We've forgotten our first love. We've abandoned him and settled for these, these things that we do because we forgot and we don't see the miracle. Because every time God brings someone into the family of God, gives you a love for him, he's doing something. The Bible uses some words for it. He says, I once was blind, but now I see. Blind and seeing. Deaf, and then you can hear all of a sudden. And for some of you, some of you grew up in the church, and your whole life you're like, I got all these church things, yeah. But then all of a sudden one day, God was like, boom. And you saw things you had never seen before. And you're like, did I miss something? No, you were just blind, and now you see. The Bible also uses another illustration. I once was dead, now I'm born again. If if someone brought somebody back to life, you'd be amazed. I go to cemeteries all the time. If you had to go to a cemetery, and this was your homework for the day, if I said, I want you to go to a cemetery, I want you to find a grave, I want you to tell a cat to come up out of there, who are you going to bring with you? Some of you are like, I already know, I've got a mafia friend. We'll bring the shovels and dig them on out. No, that's the church way. You can dig up people that are in the ground. They're still there mostly. They're going back to dust, from dust we came, from dust to dust we will return. But if you even uncover the body, if you manage to get that far, if you manage to see what is remaining of them, are you going to all of a sudden raise them to life and have them walk out? If you did, what would happen? I mean, half of you that have watched The Walking Dead, you just run off screaming, right? If a person came out of a coffin. The Bible uses the exact same language for how he saves us. For some reason, we don't see the miracle in it. Because we think salvation is, I get you to say a prayer, and then you get your butt in a seat each week. Or in Florida, two to three weeks out of the month. If that's all Christianity is, then we are failing desperately. But if Christianity is God looking at spiritual corpses, saying, get up, see, hear, It doesn't matter if it happens to us when we're three or when we're 75. There is no pride in Christianity because I wasn't in my spiritual coffin saying, choose me, I'll do great things, God, I'll do good things, I'm super good at this. No, that wasn't how it worked. God says in Corinthians, I'm going to look for the most jacked up, busted up, messed up people, and I'm going to get them all in my family. So if you're here in this whole sermon, you're like, Pastor, I love Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I go to bed thinking about him. I just want to hold him and be with him and talk to him. That's awesome. That means that you and me, we were alike. We were jacked up train wrecks. And God said, I love you. Rise. If you're here and you're like, no, no, I don't like this message at all. I just want to do my things. I did this love stuff. That's all frilly, frilly, foo-foo. I don't need that. Oh, you don't? Because God is love. And I know we load that word with our cultural definitions. I get that. I don't think we should unload everything. There's multiple words for love in the Hebrew and the Greek, three and three for the most part. There's the erotic love in both. There's the friendship love in both. And there's the unconditional, no strings attached love in both. I think our affections for Jesus should have a blend of this, this radical intimacy, this bond of friendship, and then this acceptance of his unconditional love because our love, unfortunately, in this life tends to always be conditional. So we need to see his model of unconditional love toward us. And and here's how you see it. 
in the midst of a sermon like this, when you realize, I have not loved Jesus for a long time, know that he has not stopped loving you for one minute of that time. In a moment like this, where you're wondering and maybe questioning, am I even a follower of Jesus? You need to know that Jesus has been following you this whole time. And that's way more important. Because you grabbing onto Jesus is like my kids grabbing onto my finger. They can only hold it if I let them hold it. They're not going to pick me up. They're not even going to pick themselves up. I pick them up. In that same way, God picks you up. And if you remember that every day, then this thing that we're doing becomes less about just the attendance and the singing and the giving and more about what can I do to love and serve a Savior who chose and rose up a wretch like me? What can I do to this community, to my neighbors? How can I show them that God loves them this radical way that he loves me? And then all of a sudden evangelism and all these things we do, they become less corny Christian-y. We just say, I can't believe what happened. Check this out. And we sit down with people and read our Bibles. We do this at Band of Brothers on Saturday and Sunday nights. We just sit and have coffee, read our Bibles, and pray. And I love it. It's the simple things. And then we talk to people that are around the coffee shop. We go over to the car guys. We say, hey, car guys. And we learn their names. Not because I'm trying to get another statistic because God loved me and now he lives in me and I, I can't help but to love people. Some of you are, are at the point where you've just got to put away the, the church stuff. Now we still have these systems. One of the things we're going to talk about this month is that we're moving to two services on October 29th so that our AC can fight a little bit better and we can do some cool things in here during our worship t- gatherings. But man, I am not that pastor. I don't want to be the pastor of a mega church. You know what pastors of mega churches have? Mega problems. Because there's a mega number of people. For too long in our country, specifically in our country, and, and really in some of the western countries in the world, the church has been run like an orphanage, where there's like a couple dads and then a bunch of people. That's not how we should run this thing. This building, it's not my building. It's not the church's, as the organization's building, it's, it's our building. I was talking with a chapel family member yesterday, and they were saying, can we do this, can we do this, can we do this? I said, yeah, 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 this is not my building, right? You know that? You're part of the church family. I already said you could do this. Do, you do this, you do you. What if this would, I, this is not my, I'm not your dad. He's our dad. I'm your brother. I'm the loud angry, passionate, crying brother. You're the organized human being doing events. You do you. I'll do me. He does him. Because this is us. The goal is not to get all the butts in the seats because we like people to come and hear singing. No, the goal is for us to be so gripped by the love of God that we can't help but to turn the city upside down. And we just want to make space, not so that we can go out and do an evangelism program, but so that as God, Lord willing, answers my prayers for your lives, there's already going to be room here when you go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow a radically different human being who's ready to put aside churchy things and replace them with the king of all. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that your spirit would move through 
those present today. That we would not follow the track of the Ephesians church. That we wouldn't put away our first love and replace it with churchy things. But that we would put you at the center of all. That we would see that amazing grace is a sweet sound. That we would understand that when we were blind, there was only one way that we could see. By your gift. That when we were dead, there was only one way we could rise. By your voice bringing us to spiritual life. Lord, I pray that the pride of every person in this room, including me, Lord, I pray that my pride would hit the bottom and that I would have nothing to hold on to except for you and you alone. Lord, let that be true for all of us. Let us strive tomorrow as we go to work to love people like you've loved us by the power that you give us, not by our own power. God, help us not to buy into just another church program or another service, but help us to come together as a family and do what family does. And God, help us to see that you are calling more of our brothers and sisters who don't know you yet into this family. So today I pray that you would ignite our hearts on fire again with the love that we first had. I pray that you would ignite the hearts of the people who are gathering for worship at Fishhawk Fellowship. I pray that you would ignite the hearts of the people gathering to, to start the new church plan at Next Level Church. I pray that you would ignite Bell Shoals and Baylife and Grace Methodist. I pray that you would ignite this area so that people who made a living on sin turn from that. And so that industries that want to that want to point people towards sin and death and destruction, they get so mad at us, they riot like they did in the church in Ephesus because no one is buying the garbage that doesn't fill a life any longer. Lord, make us people who love without fear and without hesitation with a boldness that changes the world. You used 12 before. You've got a lot more than that now. Help us to have a fraction of the love that those apostles had. In Jesus' name, amen.